1: Also, if you're a minor, please check with your parent and or guardian, as you need to have permission to listen to these podcasts. We will potentially talk about violent subject matter, sexual content, and difficulties human beings face on their day-to-day lives in recovery. Martina, thank you for coming in. You're welcome. Did I pronounce your name correctly, first of all? Yes. Okay. And it's really nice to see you. You too. Um, I, anyway, I'm going to let you tell us your story. And as you tell it, if, you, if you're okay with it, I'll talk with you about it. Um, ask questions maybe. Um, mm-hmm. But I really, I, know I don't know your story at all. But I, man, I just, I have always liked you since I've met you. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that you're solid. Obviously, that stands for something, right? And someone who you can, who I could probably trust, right, to talk to. So uh, thanks for coming in. Thanks. Um, despite my stumbling and bumbling.
0: Um too. I'm a little nervous. <laughs> yeah, me too. I'm very nervous. I'm always nervous about what to share and what's um you know mm. it's not about being appropriate but what is like useful to other people. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and that's really about what fellowship's about and mm. you know, giving back and just sharing how you got from point A to point B, right? Mm. So I mean can sit here and tell you a sob story but (laughs) tell me any story you want yeah (laughs) well it hasn't all been you know (laughs) butterflies and here's what i'm looking
1: forward to so we were messaging yesterday and she goes i'm full of surprises and i said i hope i I bet you are (laughs) so
0: yeah i am (laughs) never a dull moment in my world sweet so um, I guess I'll start at the beginning, so mm-hmm. birth. I was born in uh, Cairo, Egypt, in an orphanage. Oh wow. really? Uh, yeah, when uh, my mom there, apparently like uh, she got pregnant out of wedlock, and um, this actually still goes on to this day, which is why I think it's important for like awareness. Mm-hmm. but yeah. Um, she didn't have a dowry, so if she would have had me, then they probably would have killed her, killed me, slaved me. I would never be worth money and like that's how they treated women there and still do to this day where is that again Cairo, Cairo in Egypt, okay. in yeah, Egypt. Okay. so um she ran away from her family and had me in an orphanage and they told me she quote unquote died at giving mm-hmm. birth to me and <clears throat> that's how I came into the world I was fortunate enough to get smuggled Mm -hmm. out of Egypt I would call it that just because as I got older I learned my true story yeah Um, so you
1: legitimately got smuggled out of Egypt
0: yeah my adopted auntie uh, she gave fake birth to me and uh, got me a birth certificate with her name on it and brought me to Canada then I was adopted by my parents when I came here Okay. because my parents were at those times in Canada you're only allowed to adopt one child Mm-hmm. And they had already adopted my sister 11 months prior and wanted another baby. Yeah. Went to Egypt, seeing the living conditions for women there and just, you know. Mm. So very God sent and quite a blessing really. No doubt. Um, so growing up, I was very, I had abandonment issues. I didn't bond to my parents. Mm. Like I was very cold. I didn't like fit in. I would say and was a problem child from like a early early age started running away like I think the first time I ran away was six or something <laughs> okay like I know like kids do that yeah. but, like I literally by the time of 11 I was like running away for months on end
1: I want to high five you because me too <laughs> really <laughs> I ran away like three times by the time I was nine <laughs> yeah. See? yeah.
0: so I always felt like a burden on my family mm. and, I, and I never felt like I fit and uh you know, as I was running away in those times, I kind of got around the kids whose parents really didn't care. We, mm. like, went there and, like, slept over, like, slept on the couch and stuff. And I grew up, this was in, actually, Prince George, B.C. Okay. So, quite a rough area. Um, by the time I was 11, I was already smoking crack. Mm. So, that was my first drug. I never, like, went from weed to... I just got introduced and that was it for me for a long time Mm -hmm. um I managed to force myself to get through school but I was very much um involved in that life selling cocaine and using for my addiction and getting with in unhealthy relationships with Mm -hmm. older men and you know um living in and out of group homes with high-risk youth and uh You know, there was years of sobriety throughout that, but only short periods of time. I think I was sober, you know, to, you know, do some youth advocate work Mm -hmm. when I was like 15, had my daughter. And by the time she was a year, I was like full blown, like Mm -hmm. no turning back for a very long time. I moved to Edmonton and got into this sex trade Um, at 17. I was escorting. And, uh, making a shit ton of money, Mm -hmm. lots and lots of money, like more money than I knew what to do with. So that also contributed to just the party continuing. Um, at that point I turned 18 and went to Niagara Falls. Niagara Falls was, uh, started stripping. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That was good times. Uh, (laughs) what was I doing? Like, honestly, (laughs) I went there with $20 in my pocket yeah. off some binge with like two pimps mm-hmm. from that had been out in out west recruiting girls and um, my friend got flagged I was supposed to go with my girlfriend and she got flagged at the airport for some uh, what do you call that warrants no not warrants uh, immigration hold oh, okay so she was actually in Canada like her papers weren't good or something mm and uh she got flagged at the airport so now i'm sitting on a plane with like these two big black men
1: mm-hmm.
0: and color doesn't matter so these two big men yeah. <laughs> and they're, like well
1: it probably mattered me. to you at the time
0: yeah
1: but, uh, you know i don't taking know taking
0: me out to you know some cross the country mm-hmm. and um uh, that was definitely not the plan i was planning on going there and me and her were gonna go you know mm-hmm. do whatever run away from them <laughs> So, uh, yeah, ended up in Niagara Falls, a uh, very scary time around people that are trying to control your life and uh, control what you do, control your money, control where you're staying, this and that. I'm pretty feisty, so I found my way out of that and uh, ended up getting into Toronto and just downward spiraled from there. Um lot on the streets there and very well known by the cops in and out of jail all that kind of stuff I uh, <clears throat> uh seems like a big blur now I remember mm-hmm. losing faith though I remember losing faith in God and being like emotional
1: <laughs> mm-hmm, that's okay um you missed it I was crying earlier you? oh
0: yeah 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 so you know I remember thinking like why have you probably this far for this mm. you know like there's no god there definitely is no god this and that and i was in a hotel room i don't know with some dealers and like do getting high and there was a knock at the door and uh a man was standing there and he called me crystal mm. and i was like mm, my name not crystal my name is Like, that's definitely not my name. And of course, I didn't want to tell him my name was Martina Mm because, like, I had like a million aliases at this time. (laughs) And he's like, no, your name's Crystal and I'm looking for you. And I thought that was really weird because that's what the nuns had named me in the orphanage I was Mm -hmm. in. Really? Yeah. And he came into my hotel room. Like, in the doorway. And he told me that I wasn't alone, that I wasn't going through this alone, that I wasn't, that he, that he was sent to tell me that, you know, things are unfortunate right now, but that he's never left me. Mm-hmm. And I knew why he was there. I knew who sent him. I knew that, like, you know, that was a messenger. I found it really, like, mm-hmm. even looking back to it to this day, as something that's always stuck with me. Mind you, I didn't get my shit together right after that. <laughs> it still <laughs> took me a while, but mm-hmm. it, re- like, helped me to regain my faith mm-hmm. at that point because he knew things about my life that only happened with me and mm-hmm. nobody else around. Like, nobody would know these things. He told me stories about things I've been through running away, things that had happened to me and the times that, you know, he was there with me Mm. and he wanted me to know that, uh, you know, I have this little girl and I have a family that loves and cares about me and that I need to go home. So I continued my party for about two years after that conversation. And um, I know, like, so hard-headed, but... (laughs) (laughs) I ended up uh, getting into quite a situation and uh, coming back to um, Calgary, where my parents had moved from Prince George since I had left. Um, I came back to Calgary in pretty rough shape. I probably weighed about 90 pounds. Mm. Teeth were broken up. Um, just like the lady on the plane beside me, I remember. I was sitting on the plane and I put, <laughs> had a hoodie on and she was like, she's sick. To like this, <laughs> yeah. No, I think she's just sleeping. <laughs> like, I looked terrible, mm. and I remember the look on my parents' face when I got off the plane. And mm. I smartened up that time, like, uh, that would have been 2009. Mm-hmm. I said, Okay, I'm gonna try something else, and um, I got into hairstyling and got clean. It took, I slept for like, I think a month straight, honestly. And um, then decided to go to school to be a hairstylist and uh, still had this pull to the life. Mm. Still wanted the money, still wanted to, you know, I can, you know, sell drugs and not use them. I can, you know, as an addict, I think we always try to make excuses or try different ways Mm. to approach the situation. Well, this time I'm just (laughs) gonna smoke this much.
1: I'm only going to do it at five and never at six or seven.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. Right. So, yeah, I uh, ended up getting around, uh, meeting some people out here from out east as well and started selling drugs and things were going good. And I was doing my hair styling and, you know, everything was great. And then I started missing work because I was like too busy making money, doing other things, faster and easier money. Mm mm-hmm and eventually a little bit started backsliding and you know using in my parents basement Mm. using in the garage you know just one night here one night there and then before i knew it i was using every day again Mm. and going full force that continued for some time so that would have been like 2010 and I ended up getting in in the drug scene in Calgary pretty heavily and in and out of jail for, you know, longer stints now because I've been going to jail since I was like 12. I was like in jail more than I was out. Jesus. <laughs> <Like> my whole <laughs> life. Yeah. So I always thought it was like a break from the hustle. Mm-hmm. I would always like be like, oh, I'm going to jail. <laughs> so i get my weight up. <laughs> <laughs> like never caring like at all about like it's a weight hey, it's a weight game program out. yeah wake, <laughs> yeah you want to lose weight stay out you want to yeah. gain weight just go to jail like you know <laughs> just beef up yeah right so wow my way of thinking was so distorted the and, minds uh, of
1: an addict eh
0: yeah for real yeah. I when I started I went to a CRC and mm-hmm. I started like You know, we're in 22 and a half hour lockdown there unless you go to programs and stuff. And I started, you know, going to every program I could just Mm -hmm. to get out of my cell. And then I ended up going to, you know, N.A. one day. And I was like listening to what they had to say. And that was the first time I think I've ever been in a meeting my entire life. Mm -hmm. And I was in jail. And I was like, well, you know, like, there's some similarities here, but at first you always think you're like, oh, these people aren't like me. Yeah. Like there's nobody that understands me. Mm. They, they don't get it. <laughs> you just don't get it. You know how many addicts tell me that? Yeah. <laughs> you just don't get it. It's Cause you just don't get it. I'm like, oh yeah, <laughs> like I've never been there. <laughs> Listen, I did my fair share of carpet serving, all right? Yeah. <laughs> Literally. So <laughs> There's
1: nothing better than watching people who Who like their their cocaine and stuff in the carpet? Nothing better than that.
0: Yo, you could have a a ton of it and still be in the carpet. Yeah, totally. (laughs) That was the
1: impression I always got too. I never did cocaine or nothing, but yeah, not a good drug. (laughs) I'd be sitting there drinking and watching people in the carpet going, "Fuck, are they doing?"
0: Right? (laughs) Yeah, it's true. Yeah. Um, but you know, doing that and going to church in jail and Mm -hmm. getting out and going to church and you know, getting back to my roots and about thinking about like where my life was going and stuff, I'd be in and out and I wouldn't make it to a meeting. I usually get out, you know, and then just go right back to the street life. Mm -hmm. And that carried on for a couple of years until um, 2013. I was really high driving a stolen vehicle, got into a high speed chase, with nine ounces of dope on me and mm-hmm. seven grand, and I was not stopping, and I was wanted for armed robbery charges mm-hmm. Canada-wide. Mm-hmm. So I think that was the rock bottom, Yeah, but I still didn't get caught that time.
1: <laughs> okay.
0: <laughs> so I got on a high-speed chase and yeah. got away. I uh, had run over two cops, and... Uh, I hope they never listened to this, <laughs> right? I'm like, and I'm going to jail now. No, I'm yeah. <laughs> just joking. So, um. <laughs> well, you've already dealt with this, right? I
1: have dealt yeah, with it. That's what I, I thought so, so yeah. it's all good. So,
0: at the time, um, yeah, I was, like, out of control, mm-hmm. like, just nuts. It, I look back at it and I don't even think, like, how did that even happen, mm-hmm. you know? um just no regard for my life or anybody else around me right I almost hit the dope team oh really that was like one of the things I remember being in the high speed chase do you guys know who the dope team is
1: there's a van that cups or not cups um alpha house
0: alpha house they roll around and like give out food Mm. and pipes and like clean needle using and all this and I almost t-boned them in my high speed chase mm. and I remember seeing <laughs> and I'm like, Oh my God. Oh my goodness. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. So those like lucid moments when you become sober and you're yeah. like, wow, like that was really messed up. So yeah, that I went on trippy. the run from that <clears throat> and got cut, taken down by gang squad about two weeks later, went to jail for six months and then started, you know, NA again, going to church again, ended up getting released and my charges dropped and uh with the one condition that I wouldn't drive for a year mm. so the first thing I did when I got out was got a brand new truck <laughs> <laughs>
1: I love it because it's exactly what we're talking about. This is the mind of an addict, right? This is what we go through. Right? Like just
0: retardedness. It It was downtown (laughs) on stroll, chopping people in my truck, my brand new truck, and the same area that I just got into this high speed truck (laughs) chased with all these cops that mind you know it was me and are quite pissed off, (laughs) right?
1: Martino, will we get you?
0: So they surrounded <laughs> me and smashed out my windows, tasered me, beat the shit out of me with nightsticks, and I went to jail, black to black and blue, head to toe, with two broken wrists. Hmm. And I went in front of the same judge. And the judge looked at me and said, "Miss Valentini, you do not uh, learn." I'm giving you, he could have gave me two years. He gave me two years minus a day. Mm. So 18 months provincial time, not easy time. Mm-hmm. you know. pen, package. You no, know, you're in there and you're stuck around, you know, everything. I went to jail and I was like, I was watching my peers. And, uh, you know, I was like, oh, well, I'm here again. And they're like, oh, well, your bunk is still warm. You know, and they knew who I was right off the bat and they put me in my cell and went to Lethbridge and people are getting high and your cellmates tweaking out all night on crystal meth and just, I just looked at it different. I was like, Mm. I was done. That was it for me. And when I was in there, I, again, went back to the fellowship and uh, started running meetings and stuff. And uh, the other component of it was for me was I got some. Uh, pretty intense therapy, mm. and um the therapy the therapy I did was cognitive behavioral mm-hmm. therapy, and um that man changed my life that guy he mm-hmm. challenged my way of thinking and he called me out on my shit, and he never you know, and that's mm-hmm. something that i i in fellowship I received you know the support I needed in the other way, but I needed to change my way of thinking. Mm-hmm. I needed to retrain my brain because for all these years I've been doing it one way. Yeah. And I honestly would have never, um, I would have never, I would have went back if it wasn't for those 12 intense therapy sessions. And mm-hmm. that's all it took was literally 12. Yeah. And I've been doing this for literally 20 years. Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And it was just like, he was like, you know, he'd ask me questions like about, you know, he's like, what's your core belief about yourself? I was like, I'm not worthy. He's like, well, what do you have to support that? And I'd be like, well, because this and this and this and happened to me. It's like, well, I don't believe that that to be true. You know, Mm -hmm. I think that is more so... To say that, you know, that this is a core belief that you have because of things that have happened, but not every situation is the same and mm-hmm. not everything's going to turn out the same way all the time, yeah. you know? And I needed somebody to come and challenge me like that, and I never had that before in my life. And uh, I would do those worksheets. He'd make me do worksheets where I would put down, like, a belief that I thought, and then it would challenge me by asking me questions Is this like, so what do you have to support this? What could you say instead of this? Like all these different questions. And it was just like retraining my thought process. And I just, when I got out, I just, uh, I was like, okay, whatever. After the 12 sessions, I didn't really see a change in myself right away. Mm -hmm. But people started noticing the change in me, starting with like the guards. Mm -hmm. They're like, okay, you're like so chill, not starting fights, not going to the SAG, not, you know getting sprayed every other day. <laughs> <laughs> like what's going on here? <laughs> that must have just been nice for you
1: though. <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> I never got probably sprayed once in like six months. It was <laughs> great. <laughs> but yeah, and I just continued to um, you know, try to make a plan. And mm. uh, I think jail sa- saved my life. Like literally because I don't I don't know if I would still be alive, especially the way like it's not I know, like, people say this and whatever, but, like, things are bad out there now. Mm-hmm. It's not the same. Yeah. Like, the drugs and stuff that are out on the streets now are there to kill you. Yeah. They're to make you a zombie. They're not like, hey, some, like, you know, yeah, man. Like, you <laughs> yeah, know? Yeah. It's true. And so, it's I... It's dangerous shit out there. Yeah. You don't know. It's like every time you use your playing Russian roulette mm-hmm. nowadays. Yeah. It's like you can't trust anything and... You know, I I got out and I uh, I ended up going to uh, reaching out to... Well, I reached out to Elizabeth Fry when I was in mm-hmm. jail. And uh, they had sent me up into an apartment that I did have to pay for, but <laughs> that they gave me like my damage deposit mm-hmm. in my first months. And they were like here and that was at the mustard seed. So if... Um, I don't know. So E-Fry is good for that just for anybody that's listening that mm-hmm. wants to... And that was at
1: the Mustard Seeds building? Yeah. yeah. So
0: I got a corner apartment. They had four apartments in there. Um, Elizabeth Fry did, And uh, I ended up getting into one. And just hit the ground running. It did not stop. I went and got three jobs. Mm-hmm. And I filled up my time. And I was working 18-hour days. And I just thought, like, if I don't have time to go on these streets, because mm-hmm. first of all, I'm at the Mustard Seed. Like downtown, like right in the center of everything, and you know, it's not a short walk. I mean, it's not a long
1: walk to get what you want,
0: right? Crack max, yeah. I know, (laughs) I was just gonna say that too, right? So, um, I just yeah, I started working like at a gym, uh, also chamber mating at Travel Lodge in the mornings, and uh working at boston pizza as a host so not well-paying jobs but and all over town two in Mm. the south and one in the north so (laughs) i was quite tired every night yeah no doubt. and i started that two weeks out Mm. two weeks out of jail i started that and i just filled my time with that and any extra time i had i went to meetings and went to recovery church Mm. and just tried to surround myself with that stuff and um yeah it worked Mm -hmm. and it worked quite you know it helped me to uh you know realize that I can do something else other than what I was doing that I am capable um yeah I got into the gym job uh two weeks after I got out by three months I was managing my own location nice and I mean that's like after two years of being locked up yeah and I'm still there to this day. are
1: you yeah. Excellent. Congrats. I'm actually
0: going for the regional position. Nice. So, um, I think I got it, but here's open. Yeah, I mean, there's not a better candidate. I know that. Yeah. So I do that, and uh, I go to meetings when I can. I do work two jobs. I I'm actually in a bar now. Mm. I've been in a bar for a couple of years. Kind of weird.
1: I think we chatted about that briefly when I saw you last.
0: Yeah. Yeah, because
1: you're a bartender, right? Yeah. Yeah. I'm okay. A bartender.
0: Yeah. At a strip club.
1: That's awesome. <laughs> it's
0: is like so weird. Cause <laughs> like.
1: Because one at one day you were dancing. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like. Yeah.
0: You guys can't stop doing Coke. No. <laughs> 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 giving out meeting lists. <laughs>
1: Yeah. Oh my God. Are you? Sometimes. You should... <laughs> That's awesome.
0: If he's really bad. I'm like yeah, I think you need a meeting. <laughs>
1: that's fantastic
0: yeah i don't know how many friends i've made there over the yeah. years not many but that's but, okay yeah so i do that
1: i think it's far out you've gone full circle and you're doing good
0: yeah it's right? just different to be on the other end of it and see uh-huh. actually from the other side what goes on and like what i was involved in and mm-hmm. like actually be strong enough and not have the desire mm-hmm. and like uh you know like i've i've been a like yeah. Almost three years I've been at the bar and I, I've never, you know, what, I, I never relapsed when I got out. Mm-hmm. I got out in 2015. So, wow. We're looking at almost seven years, six years. So almost, yeah. No, I, I got clean in 2013. I yeah. got out in 2015. So, so you've been
1: clean almost eight years, almost.
0: Yeah. yeah. There you go. Eight years. And uh, good for you. Yeah. And, and, and
1: you know what? People who say that jail time doesn't count. I have a feeling it counts extra. Yeah. Especially if you're stuck in the cell with someone who's using,
0: right? Oh, yeah. It's retarded. Yeah. You're like, really? Can you just go to bed?
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, like, and seriously, like, what do you do when you're, like, maybe you can tell me this. Not that yeah, you would want sure. to watch your cellmate, but like, if you do meth inside your cell, what the fuck are you doing for the rest of the time?
0: Tweaking out the window, looking for guards.
1: Really? Yes.
0: All night.
1: And that's it. So like, how... I watch it. I'm yeah. Like, so how much fun was that person having?
0: I don't know. And that's the question, right? Yeah. Like, I mean, that is what boggles me about addiction, mm-hmm. right? Because I always thought getting high in jail was stupid. Yeah. I'm like, Kate, first of all, you're going to eventually run out. <laughs> like, <laughs> that's the biggest problem. Yeah, that is number one. <laughs> right? Yeah. And then second, like, there's just a whole bunch of cops around. Mm-hmm. Like.
1: <laughs> it seems like a really bad idea, right? Like, it
0: does. I mean, does. I understand
1: addiction and how powerful it is of, to some extent, of course, but. I, I, that just to me it it really doesn't make a lot of sense, right? I think that's why addiction is the way it is,
0: right? Does it make a lot of sense? Well, I think it is. Uh, you know, these that the drug has such a, a impact on your brain, mm-hmm. and that um, I know a lot with cocaine is that you know it actually causes an, a chemical imbalance that makes you think you need it more than you need to like breathe, eat. Mm-hmm these things Mm -hmm. crystal mess the same way and that's why it's so deadly because if there isn't that long period of abstinence Mm -hmm. where you can get your your brain starts working like in his normal state balances out a bit yeah it's hard Mm -hmm. you know it's hard to really kick it right I think that you know I always did jail time I do six months here nine months there it wasn't until I had to sit down for 18 months Mm -hmm. And, like, I mean, if it was my system, which is it will never be, but if it was my system, if you get caught hard on criminal charges on the third time, I say, strike out, you're you're gone. Mm-hmm. You're going from a year to two years. Yeah. It's the only way to, to really, like, I think personally for somebody that was as embedded in them as I was mm-hmm. into it, for you to get that enough clean time. And if you're not locked up, you're not. Yeah. And the other part is willingness, right?
1: Yeah.
0: Like, I struggle with this a lot. Like, I struggle with, um, like, I still have tons of problems. Just because I'm sober doesn't mean I don't mm-hmm. have problems. And I still deal with addiction through other people now. I'm yeah. still kind of on the allen on end. <laughs> <laughs> That's But, good. like, I've had intimate relationships with, you know, men that have that are, you know, using behind my back or, like, mm. going back to that and... You know scary, some scary situations has happened mm-hmm. like when I got out of jail and I was was um, you know coming out to be sober and stuff I went to you know the Elizabeth Fry house and got back with my boyfriend three months later I was living in a house with 30 keys mm-hmm. staying sober you know like mm-hmm. relationships have been a big thing for me like a big downfall in my sobriety. Yeah. Thank God it ha- I haven't gone back like from the grace of God. But I mean, it's always been, it's like, I don't know really how to change that part of it. Mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, I guess I could go get more help, but you could, yeah. yeah. You know, like I am figuring it out. It's just like, um, yeah, I haven't made some good decisions around that mm-hmm. even recently to tell you the truth. But, um, yeah, I have managed to stay sober.
1: Mm hmm. That's the big clean. one. Yeah. That's the big one. Because then you can learn the other stuff, right?
0: You would think. <laughs> well, you know what?
1: I'll, I'll be honest with you, Martina. Like for the first 10 years of my sobriety, I was a mess. When Especially when it came to relationships, right? I was still um, having relationships like I was having drugs. They were short-term, all problematic, always toxic because I didn't want them to last, right? So, Right.
0: That's the thing is like I started to think so consciously that mm-hmm. the reason why I can't have a positive relationship is because I really don't want one.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I I don't think that's impossible. I think that's possible. I know, but right? it, for yeah. you,
0: you say that. So yep. how did you go from that to being in a...
1: In a relationship? Yeah. Yeah, It was. it wasn't my doing. That's how it happened. So like it was basically... A result of just doing the work that we've been told to do right like step work whatever else and Mm -hmm. go to counseling as i need it because i do that too i i can't i can't have a a dual diagnosis right so i have severe depression so i'm medicated and i have to get treated for it Mm -hmm. Um, as well as my addiction so there's this stuff going on but the idea is is the fuck? Where was i going with that how did you get through oh the relationships yes Yes. i had to hurt enough (laughs) I know, it's the brain, like it's too many drugs, too much booze, whatever it is. But it's legitimately, I had no choice but to continually try and figure it out, right? Just like you're going through right now and thinking, feeling like you're pretty, like, I'm not going to put words in your mouth. This is where I was coming from. I am not getting this. It's not working. I'm not getting better because that one area would not get better, right? It just wouldn't part of the, the obviously part of the problem for me was I kept going back to it, right? I kept going back to the well and only going in for short terms with people, right? Um, I mean, people probably called me short-term Dave (laughs) at a certain point in my recovery because if it was a relationship, it was all about fun for me, right? It wasn't about building something with someone else. And it wasn't about that until the other stuff I don't know. I think, in-
0: that, I think that goes along with trust though. Yeah. And like when you're in this like world for mm-hmm. so long where you just, you're like, yeah, I got to put myself first. And mm-hmm. I don't know about building with somebody else. So yeah. I'm kind of there, I think. And I think that it's easier if I have somebody that's a little bit, you know. I always think it's like this, okay. So like for my instance, right? Somebody that's coming from a life that is somewhere mm-hmm. to mine. And then like, I have this like great doctor chasing me Mm -hmm. and I'm like, you're boring and lame and kind of (laughs) corny and I can't really stand you. Mm -hmm. But I'm just going to go over here to Mm -hmm. this like, problematic dude that's like yeah i'm out on parole you know been clean six <laughs> months <laughs> like it's just so crazy like it just like do you know what i mean using drugs on the down low mm. carrying guns and you know like this is like what i'm attracted to and then meanwhile in the background mm. there's this like beautiful man that i'm like uh okay whatever like mm. go away yeah that's like literally it, my life
1: it's like a, it's, <laughs> well, we get into the same habits martina with people as we do with drugs right
0: Right. And places,
1: we get into the same habits. Like, I was always picking girls who I felt, this was not true, this is what I told myself, that I felt needed me, right? And so every time I would go with someone who was troubled, right? Because I thought, well, they need me. I could, I could actually be useful there, right? As opposed to just a, a piece of meat, right? Which was all I was really after. And Most of the time, that's what they were after too. Um, even though we would dress it up right? I would dress it up because I thought I had to. I thought I was supposed to want something different, right? But I didn't until I did. That, that's just, it took as much time as it took, almost 10 full years of, well, probably a little longer than 10 years. I'm probably giving myself a little bit of a gray space there, but it took 10 plus years to get through it to, mm-hmm. because it was so ingrained in me, right? Like from the minute, because I was, I was abused outside of the home from about 4 till about 13, Okay, so in that time period, I developed obviously, yes, yes, I will, I will. So whenever somebody wanted sex from me, I said yes. It didn't matter who it was. It didn't matter where it was. It was like it happened all the time. And so I carried that in, into sobriety with me that, yes, I, had, I didn't realize until I got sober that I had never told anyone no. I had never said no to sex, not once. And, and don't get me wrong, I know that seems weird, right? But the the reality no, it
0: doesn't is actually it resonates with me right
1: like it, it's a, but it, it it feels weird to say i'm sure i've
0: told people no but like yeah not on the regular
1: yeah <laughs> like and not on the, not and not enough for me to remember right, right? <laughs> yeah so i i because I, I came in and i thought well i'm supposed to this is what i'm for because from the time i was a kid that's what i was for
0: mm-hmm. i was
1: only for sex
0: mm-hmm. so
1: how could anybody want me for any other reason right mm-hmm even though I started to in sobriety obviously figure out that that was not the case, that some people actually genuinely like me. It didn't matter like the doctor, right? Like I, I kept trying way back in the day with this woman that I thought was going to make me into a better man because she was a better woman. Right? So she was like professional. She didn't have addiction issues. Kind of like what you said on perception, maybe a little boring for me. Right. But I thought, this is what I'm supposed to do. But every time we'd have trouble, I'd have to go somewhere else. Right? Because it wasn't real for me.
0: Well, I feel like at that point, it's like wearing a mask. Yeah. And it's like, I can't be my authentic self. Mm -hmm. And it's like, could you even handle if I told you my truth? And it's like, do I even Mm want to go there with you? Like, who are you to me that I need to like, Mm -hmm. you know? And then it's like, maybe I feel more comfortable because I'm like, with somebody that has those problems because mm-hmm. at the same time you're like, well, I'm messed up, but you're really messed up. <laughs> exactly.
1: But that's always where I my was mom's going. like,
0: My mom yeah. said to me the other day, you want to fix everybody. And I'm like, I don't think that's it. Like, mm-hmm. I really don't think that's yeah. it. I really resonate with what you're saying. And like, we actually had a big argument about this this morning because mm-hmm. I'm like, again, like I said... You know, like I like to have that common ground with somebody that they, I can understand and they can understand me. We have similar backgrounds. So like when I say something completely out of left field, they're mm-hmm. going to understand what I mean or why.
1: Yeah. And they're not going to be afraid of you. Right? Yeah. 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 And that's and that's hard. It is hard to find in different environments. Right. Mm-hmm. It's easy to keep going to the same well when that's where we've gone. And, but I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to say it like it's an easy choice (laughs) because going to the same well is comfortable.
0: But you know, I get that. But do you know what it is? It is, it does come down to choices Mm -hmm. at the end of the day. Yeah. You know, and it's like,
1: and that's the truth of it.
0: That is the truth. That's like, (laughs) honestly, am I going to do this again? And like, sometimes I'm even going into these things and I'm like, full well this is not gonna turn out good (laughs)
1: yeah yeah you're and sometimes i don't know i would go into it i go into a relationship going if i survive this relationship i'll be lucky (laughs) like seriously i'd go in knowing like on the first this one this one. my god do you
0: ever tell yourself well you know it could work out (laughs) yeah Have I ever
1: said that? No.
0: <laughs> I mean, there is that chance. But that's the
1: only reason I would even try because there's that chance, right? <laughs> it just might be different this time. Right? Right? It might be you know, different.
0: Like, I say that, uh, I seen something funny and I always say it now. It's like, um, my spirit animal is a bull because I too charge mm-hmm. after red flags. <laughs>
1: okay so any guys out there just put wear a wet red cape (laughs) right (laughs) and if you're a good human wear a bright red cape so (laughs) she can see you that's right
0: right and don't be afraid to talk to me yeah
1: yeah she's saying that to me because I was afraid when she first came around Uh, isn't that funny you were so intimidating like you could tell you're like something different there's something different about you you know what?
0: It's just so weird it's like you know I Yeah. You just have all these beliefs about yourself, and like, you don't really know how the world looks at you Mm -hmm. and the impact you have on people. I went to uh, Prince George. I actually went to drive my daughter back to Prince George. She's uh, working at UMBC, doing a working for the radio station there, which is kind of cool. And uh, doing a podcast for like, because she's uh, First Nations, Mm -hmm. and she's doing a podcast going to be based out of her reservation yep. and it's gonna be like native music and like their language and mm. like all this stuff and like this kid is just like i'm very proud of her like That's has awesome. had a really shitty mother and father mm-hmm. and like <laughs> her dad's still drunk so mm. and her mom is like in and will just like i remember her answering the phone for me since like five years old and knowing to press one mm-hmm. to accept the fucking yeah. jail call yeah she's like mom what are you locked up for again <laughs> Like, literally, my daughter, yeah. right? So, um, graduated. Um, she came down here to visit me for... And I didn't want her taking the plane. do didn't want the COVID mm-hmm. getting locked up and all this stuff. Yeah. So, I drove her back to Prince George. And we went and seen some of my youth care workers mm-hmm. that, like, raised me. Yeah. You know? And I'm like, these women are still, you know, in, in the helping field, mm-hmm. you know? And uh, they're like... When your mom was young, you know, she started a um, a group for female youth exiting the sex trade, and she used to she used to go to the social services office and yell at the supervisor to help <laughs> all her peers and get them clothing and allowances. No, me. You, yeah. And I don't remember these things, yeah. you know. And it's like I just. To sit back and look back from when I was 13 doing Mm -hmm. those things, right? 13 to like 17 when I was in care. When the cops picked me up and dragged me to the group home. So from those times, like I'm 36. Mm -hmm. And these people remember it like it was yesterday. And I look at it like, meh. Mm -hmm. You know, like the impact you have on other people's lives. And that's why... I, you know, I think that I share my story and that I uh, try to stay connected somewhat. I mean, life is so busy nowadays that I don't mm-hmm. even know. I wish I just had more time. But it's just like you never know what part of your story is going to connect to somebody else and mm-hmm. how it's going to help them. That's true. And the what you do or what situations, we're all put in each other's lives for a reason, mm-hmm. a season or a lifetime, right? Yeah, you got that right. And uh, a lot of the time it's a reason, mm-hmm. you know? And I mean, the reason's... Could be significant or little, but, Mm -hmm. you know, you can make an impact on somebody else. And that's why it's important when, you know, you called me to be like, hey, come tell me your story. It's like, okay.
1: Yeah. I'm really glad you did. Yeah. Yeah. And as you're talking, I'm thinking, you asked me how, how, how did I go into a relationship? Mm-hmm. And I'll tell you, I, the truth is... I kind
0: of was around for that from yeah. the outside, like watching it and like, this is interesting. She was
1: the she was the first human who heard me talk about what was really going on in my life and didn't have any complaint about it. Didn't say you need to change it. Didn't say you need to change who you are, right? Because I'm bisexual. So I'm a bisexual man that's always been a problem with every person I've ever been with, right? Well, not every person. I've been with lots of people who are liberated and they were not against it or anything. But every person I've actually dated, got into a relationship with, this was the first time I was able to tell another human being my whole truth. And they didn't lambaste me for it or shit on me for it or condemn me or judge me. Right. And I, I, I don't know about you, but that was a big problem for me. That's a big reason why I never let anyone get really to know me was because I knew that if they did, they would judge me. And so I just chose to walk away instead. Right. Instead of telling the truth. But... To me, that was the difference maker was becoming comfortable enough with who I actually am to tell that truth mm-hmm. finally. Right. And say, I, you can't do anything about this cause there's nothing wrong. This is just who I am. Right. Much like other people who they, they are, who they are. Right. Um, it never occurred to me to judge people, but having always been judged for those things, when I would t- talk about them, I slowly stopped talking about it. Right. Because everybody wanted to change change you because if it's a girl they want you to be with them and if it's a boy they want you to be with them and so everybody wants you for their thing and the reality is that's not how I am and and it might not be who you are I don't know who you are like the whole of you but I I can totally relate to saying well am I really going to take the time to tell this person my story and then maybe have them judge me why would I do that right
0: but it's like even beyond the judgment it's like Mm -hmm it's like are they worthy of my story are they worthy of like me to be like i know that kind of sounds weird now that i'm saying it but like so i feel i'm like oh god like (laughs) go live your sheltered life like (laughs) like, i feel very jaded Mm -hmm. in that way because i'm like you know i don't know and I'm in a corporate world now Mm -hmm. and I'm trying to step up in this corporate world and I'm just like a little rough around the edges Mm -hmm. as you can see. Um, I I don't get
1: that sense at all. Actually, (laughs) I don't get the sense that you're probably an HR nightmare some days. I bet. That's what HR needs.
0: I know, but I don't think they want me to do it the way I do it. So like (laughs) now I'm like going into interviews and I really want to be blunt and Mm -hmm. be like, so you guys are like totally fucking up over here. And Mm. I I got to be like this, like, you know, I'll send you flowers.
1: Well, you, bet you're, you're so charismatic. I bet you you could deliver the messages that you need to deliver without having to use a hammer, right? Well,
0: I don't know. I just think it's my go-to.
1: Yeah. Well, it has been, right? The yeah, hammer. Yeah, I mean.
0: Yeah. But like, um, I, this is what I'm told. You are a great boss. You're the best boss mm-hmm. I've ever had until we piss you off. Yeah. And then we know. Yeah. And as long as we're doing what we're supposed to do, it's fine. Mm-hmm. But if something happens... And I just want to be like more productive in that way instead of being so like, cause I don't know. I have a team, right? Mm -hmm. I have a team and I have young, younger adults working for me, younger than me. And I kind of go street on them a Mm -hmm. little bit because I'm like, this is my team. And if Mm -hmm. like you did this on the streets, I'd smash you out. Yeah. And like, you can't do that in a corporate world. no, no.
1: (laughs) They definitely frown on that, yeah. <laughs> they frown on it. You can't. I mean, I'll be honest with you. You can't do it in any real legitimate. Real, world. Yeah, yeah, I
0: know, and yeah. that's where, like, you know, there's <laughs> there's some static, yeah. right? Because like, I have a I have a coworker that's like actually one of the only guys in my company, and he he's a little bit, you know, he's lived his life, and mm. uh, like. I'll just call him and be like, "So, don't you just want to smash this person out right now?" <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. I mean? like you know, like there's that like connection, yeah. right? Yeah, it's, you guys can relate to each other. Yeah, yeah. but like honestly, it's taught in me like it's taught me to be patient, mm-hmm. and like patience is a big thing in recovery. Yeah. And like some days, I even go like, "What am I doing at this nine to 5? Mm-hmm. Like literally, I could make this in like one hour what I made it in two weeks. Yeah. You know, there's always that like thought in your back of your head, mm-hmm. like when you're into that world for so long that I could just. Is go it pretty back.
1: persistent to that thought?
0: Um, eight years, and I still have it yeah. at times. Okay. Like COVID was really hard for everybody, yeah. right? And during COVID, that was like a true testament of like, well, what are you gonna do? Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. I bought a street bike instead. Did you? Nice. <laughs> If I had a cotch rocket and learned how to ride it, then that's what I did instead. But honestly, there was like some times where I was like thinking, you know, I could be like running a lot of drugs right now. Mm. And, you know, I don't think it would, you know, I think that I could get away with it.
1: Do you you, you see that as a, because you work with other girls I'm imagining that come into sobriety and stuff like that. And you have through the years, have you worked with other women who've come from the sex trade or, from stripping and have you found that to be a consistent difficulty, the leaving the life behind as well as the chemicals?
0: I'll tell you, um, if I was to look at everybody, I think 1%. If they ever went there, I think 1% can actually make it. Yeah. Actually. Really, hey. And um, I've, I've been around a lot of women, Mm -hmm. like a lot of women. And I mean, it gets more closet and it's more like, but it's very acceptable in that lifestyle mm-hmm. and like the club lifestyle and like you know they'll be in the club and they'll be in the massage parlor mm-hmm. so they're you know they're just, yeah and i think it's doing drugs to cope i think it's yeah. you know and like one of my best friends i call her my wife because like we're <laughs> literally like wives we even fight like wives but um <laughs> She's the only other woman I know like that is actually fully fledged in Mm. that lifestyle and does not use. Yeah. So that's And that must
1: be a small percentage.
0: Yeah. That's like one out of a hundred girls I know. So I think it's, I I see a lot of people. I, I mean, everybody, this is the bottom line with that, I think is, is like when you're ready, you're ready. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It's got to be that, hey? It's it really be has
0: to be like you really yeah. have to hit your rock bottom. It's, it's unfortunate that other people can see it before you. Mm-hmm. You know?
1: Yeah. Yeah, it really is. I remember when I came in, when I first came into sobriety, um, the, my girlfriend at the time, she she had been, she's a dancer. She was an escort, and um, she couldn't stop. She just couldn't stop because, I mean, she tried. She went to work at Safeway, like got a job, a normal job. But, of course, like you've mentioned it a few times. She could make what she made in a month, in a week, and right, like in two nights, and not even really more she could make, and she just couldn't do it. And then of course she went back to using and stuff like that, because so, I, I just, I, I have a hard time imagining being able to do that sober, right? Because I sold myself in the bathhouse, uh, in the bathhouses and other areas of huh, the city.
0: I know that place. Yeah. have chopped there. Well, and time.
1: have you? Well, <laughs>
0: There's, Best customers there, there's right? lots <laughs> of drugs around there, right? Like right. that's
1: pretty much you go down the stairs or you go down the stairs and then there's a dingy bar and then you go into the bathhouse. And so I used to do that. And I recognized for myself, even though it wasn't my main income, because I was doing that while I was going to college, actually, if you can imagine. I if, can. Right? Like I know a
0: lot of girls like that too. Yeah.
1: You just do your thing. You're trying to make money and, and, do, and do whatever you think it's okay. And everything's okay when you're drunk. And, uh, but eventually, like when I, when I did sober up, it was still very tempting because I still had guys messaging me and saying, are you still working? Are you still working? Right.
0: So do you think that any point in your life, like obviously you're past that now, Mm -hmm. but I mean like for me, right. There just can be a point in my life where I separated the two. Yeah. And like, I don't think that, that I think that has to do with willpower, but I also know that's the grace of God. Mm -hmm. But I knew that there was a way for me to make money and be around without using. But I don't think a lot of people and I and this is where I put too much onus on other people. Mm. So like I'm in a relationship and whatever. I'm like, oh, well, you could do that. Just don't use. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, like or that sounds like an okay way to make money, but Mm. just don't pick up. Yeah. And like I really have to think that like I'm. Like you are an anomaly, Martina. You yeah. There's lots of people that can't do that. There's yeah. lots of people that go through life and they, they can't sidestep. They yeah. can't just, you can't just cut corners. Yeah. You have to be like totally focused on your program. And mm-hmm. that is what's going to get them from day to day.
1: Yeah.
0: And I think time is another thing to do mm-hmm. with that. Then I, the more time you're away from it before you, you think like, okay, if I was a drinker, if I'm getting sober, I'm not going to go sit in a bar.
1: You would think. Yeah.
0: Right. But like yeah. maybe <laughs> 10 years down the road, I can go sit in the bar. Yeah.
1: You might be able to go have lunch, have coffee, whatever.
0: Yeah. Maybe not. But I'm saying yeah. like that, <clears throat> like I said, time is you make new, you know. Pathways. Yeah. Yeah. Like me, who thought I could be working in a strip club at the same place I was getting high in the bathroom in. Yeah. Like. Yeah, totally. You know, and.
1: And I, I think it's a very mature of you to recognize though that like that's for you. That mm-hmm. works for you. That might be very dangerous for someone else, right? Yeah,
0: I I see it in front of my eyes be yeah. dangerous for somebody else and for other people. And I'm just like, well, it's just a choice. Mm. And yeah. then I see that judgmental part of me, right? Yeah, you're just making the choice to go
1: because essentially that's what the, we're doing, yeah,
0: right? And I'm like, well, that's what you want, yeah, right? And then that also goes back to like, well, maybe you're just not done yet,
1: yeah. And that's yeah, a true. A couple yeah.
0: rounds, right? And uh, you know, it's really hard when it's people that are close to you that are doing that, mm-hmm. and like going back and
1: and and dying,
0: and dying. Yeah,
1: yeah. Because people are dying now.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's serious. It's not the same out there, man. No. I mean, I guess they were always dying, but like they're dying at a rapid pace now.
1: Yeah, I think at the rate, the 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 escalated rate of death is has increased quite a bit.
0: Well, you know, I'm talking to I was talking to a girl that I grew up in group homes with the other day. She actually is running her own group home now. And That's we used awesome. to, I know like trust me and we were the hall raisers. Like yeah. we we burned down our group home like 3 times. <laughs> what? We bur- we burned down our group home 3 times. <laughs> we like one time like beat up the staff, locked Wait, I'm not laughing. Sorry
1: out there. I'm not laughing. At- yes, I am. I'm laughing. That's we
0: funny. beat up the staff and like stole the van keys and all the petty cash and like yeah walked <laughs> in the basement like took off and got high speed chase. so like
1: <laughs> how you survived right Holy. Oh, yeah i
0: know how i survived there you go like <laughs> god this is the only reason i'm still here trust me um <laughs> there's just like so you know like me they used to sit us at the front door and be like when they're doing interviews and she'd be like you know like the owner of all mm-hmm. these group homes, she would see like, come here. You want this 20 bucks? Go stand there and talk to anybody that's coming through the door. Mm-hmm. And then she'd ask me my opinion, yes or no. Yeah. Like, are they going to make it through this? Yeah. You know? So they put a lot of onus on us. Like, you know, if they are hiring somebody, they'd be like, no, they won't last two weeks. You know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. That kind of stuff. But anyway, she told me that the kids that are coming in the group homes now, since she said we were the last group that were united mm-hmm. and now it's all about this crystal meth and uh this, the fentanyl and the crystal meth mm-hmm. and stuff. She said the kids have no respect. It's so violent mm-hmm. and they're all divided.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: And I'm like, that's interesting to hear because I'm like, I'm like, because to her, I'm like, so did you meet your match yet? Because mm-hmm. she was bad. Like she was so terrible and she was like, it's not even like this same game we're playing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's not. And like that was a big wake up call for me because I was always like, I thought we were bad, right? Yeah, so, yeah, but like at least we respected this stat. Well, some of them. Yeah. Like- <laughs> and you only lit a couple we were, fires. We were burning down the group all and we like putting them, <laughs> them in the basement, right? <laughs> like literally. <laughs>
1: so, so today your life is. Like, what do you do today? You obviously are very interested in work, and work is a big thing.
0: Work is a big thing. Work is like, um, well, that's your livelihood, right? And Mm -hmm. I love my job. Like, I work in fitness, right? And um, I work uh, for a company that provides a service that is affordable for every Canadian. Mm. And I've seen people come in and lose 200 300 pounds mm. and just like change their lives and just like the gym is such a positive environment mm. and not only that i get to work with young adults that need guidance yeah you know yeah. my team's great like i've had a lot of people go on to other things like not actually stayed with me but like just from our talks and our de- you know personal development meetings and stuff they realize like hey this is what i want to do and like made a plan and executed
1: mm-hmm.
0: right and uh I, I really enjoy that environment. Yeah. I really enjoy it. I, it. I'm passionate about it. And uh, it's not only my livelihood, but like I like going to work every day. Yeah. you It know? makes a
1: huge difference.
0: Yeah, I love it. And um, I have a dog. I got my dog. Actually, my boyfriend, my drug dealer boyfriend, when I got out, bought me the dog to save our mare, our mm. relationship that we are into <laughs> since I was like, he used to be my plug. You yeah. know what I mean? What kind of so, dog? Like, He's a Bichon Shih Tzu, Oh my God. But he's actually big. He's like yeah. 30 pounds. Really? Yeah. And he looks like a real live teddy bear. <laughs> and you know, they like, you, they tell you to get a plant. Yeah. Well, I never listened. Yeah. So I got a dog <laughs> and he's kind of been like the thing that is when all else has failed. Mm-hmm. The thing that I had to be strong for. Yeah. And it's like, even if I didn't want to, I had him since he was eight weeks old. So he's kind of like my baby. My daughter says she has a brother with fur and four legs. Yep. So, you know, he always relied on me, Mm -hmm. you know? And I mean, like finding that one thing that like is outside of yourself, because sometimes I think that we're like, oh, boo-hoo for me, like this and that, and go through these like things in Mm -hmm. our heads and and it's like, when you have something else that's relying on you, Yeah. like nobody's going to feed him if I don't feed him. Who's yeah. going to take him out? Who's yeah. going to, you know what I mean? Yeah. He will die. He is completely reliant on me. Mm-hmm. And I think that was like, that's been a big part of my sobriety.
1: No doubt it is. Yeah. Yeah. I could totally relate. When I got my cat Floyd, yeah, everything changed. Floyd, I love that. Yeah. He started, he just started changing my life, right? Like getting me to love something that would bite me every day. Like, I never imagined I could do it, <laughs> That's right? That's so like, true, though. But, I mean, and he's a little shit. He still bites me. But now, I mean, as we grow old together, which is really weird to say out loud, but, like, literally, I think he was probably part of opening me up to be in a more healthy relationship. Right. Right. Like, and I'm his, sure it was. Yeah. His love, his, like, attention, yeah. you know?
0: I think, I think animals are, like, a real blessing, mm-hmm. you know?
1: What's your dog's name? Reno, Reno,
0: the little big city, the little (laughs) big dog.
1: Reno, Nevada.
0: Yeah. You know what? Actually I named him when I was in Toronto, I had this dog that was, he was part dingo and part like miniature terrier.
1: Dingo and miniature terrier. That's an interesting combination. And
0: I named him Reno. Yeah. And I taught that dog to sell drugs with me and he would be my sixth man. And he would stand. He would sit, if I was doing anything, he would sit on my heels. And he would watch my back. And if anything was coming, he would let me know. So he was my mm-hmm. sixth man. And he was the coolest dog. Like, I would be like, go to the bus stop. And he would go and wait for me at the bus stop and this that. I ended up <laughs> going to jail. And I don't know what happened to him. I came out and mm-hmm. where he was staying wasn't there anymore. Oh, wow. And I always had such an attachment to that dog. And then when I got this dog, I just like his name is Reno. Yeah. And it's just like I don't know why I would name him after the
1: Reno incarnated man. <laughs>
0: yeah. Name him after the the drug six man. <laughs> but no, like that's hard to treat. He's a yeah. dog, but I had a lot of time, I guess, yeah. but like, honestly was the coolest dog. Like he never was ever on a leash. Mm-hmm. And like, I was just like, when I came out and like, that was gone, like it just was like, and he was gone and I didn't know where he went. Like mm-hmm. I literally searched Straddle for him yeah. and I was on a war path. I was like, when I find out what happened to him, like mm-hmm. <laughs> it's crazy. <man. laughs>
1: it's not crazy, man. Our pets are like our kids. Mm-hmm. I get it.
0: Yeah so i don't know it's kind of weird now because like i see you know i can get in i get into some pretty crazy situations within my relationships and Mm. i worry about him yeah it's weird it's like i'm not even worried about my own self i'm like oh i can handle this but can he?
1: yeah you know you're tough right right it's like
0: i'm like what if they hurt him yeah what if they you know
1: yeah i totally do i get it i got goosebumps as you're saying it because i mean that's most likely what will happen right is some, if it gets bad enough with the right or wrong person, however you want to look at it, it gets bad enough. I mean, you could all be hurt, right? Right. Like, that's just the reality. I don't think you will be. I just think you can be.
0: Well, I think it's like, <laughs> <laughs> I think I'm playing with fire a little bit in this last one, but yeah, you know, like I've had to like, you know, I'm pretty good at setting my boundaries as like, it's just, you know, when you're dealing with somebody that's unstable, you don't know when you set your boundaries, how they're going to react. Yeah. And you know how you would react. Yeah. And like, I know how I reacted.
1: Especially to specific boundaries. Yeah. Yeah, If
0: I'm like, no, you can't be in my house. This is my thing. Yeah. You got to go. Like, that could be a problem. Mm -hmm. Or if I, you know. Yeah. Well,
1: you know know as well as anybody though, Martina, like there's nothing. um, You can't predict what's going to happen when someone is on drugs and you can't predict what's going to happen. Oh, so
0: I always expect the worst. Exactly.
1: Me too. That's what I, that's where I would go to immediately. Right. Is if this person's using enough, anything is possible. Mm -hmm. Right. It's kind of like, it reminds me of the, uh, there's a quote in a movie that says, you can, you can turn your back on a person, but you never turn your back on a drug. Right. Like, especially if it's dangerous, the person having the drug. Right. And I got chill saying that out loud again because it's true,
0: right? Because you never know when that like that bad high is gonna be. That's right. And uh, yeah, and I sure started something, man. And like <laughs> <laughs> the thing is this, it's like, and another thing about getting sober and getting out of that life is like there's this fine line between like, you know, still having this street mentality. Mm-hmm. I and mean, this is hard for a lot of addicts, right? Because we come out of that and it's like, no ratting. Mm-hmm. You come from a place where you don't open your mouth. Yeah. So some crazy shit has happened around me that, you know, it's questionable. Mm-hmm. And it's like the last thing for me to, the, the last, there would never be a resort where I'd be like, call the cops. Yeah,
1: yeah.
0: Do you know what I mean? I do. And that's just... It's kind of like, so what do you do in that situation? Mm-hmm. So the best, well, the best thing is to not get yourself in that situation. But if you find yourself like me, mm-hmm. it's like I'm there a yeah. lot of, like not a lot of the time, but it, I've been there throughout my sobriety, right? And yeah. it's like, well, now like, am I regressing? Am I going to get a gun? Am mm-hmm. I going to protect myself? Am I going to shoot somebody? Am I going to jail? Mm-hmm. You know, I yeah. I spent one night in jail since I got out um, from a domestic. Mm-hmm because again over my dog my ex tried to take my dog and Mm -hmm. rub my house and that was really bad and um he actually ended up calling the cops on me and i ended up going to jail and i paced around that cell for like i think about nine hours Mm -hmm. i couldn't sleep i went in at seven at night i got out at 12 the next morning and i was like this yeah the whole entire time such a crappy feeling no shit right? Ugh. Like you go so far yeah. and then you just have these like wake up calls like what are you doing? Yeah. You know?
1: Man, no doubt. And that would wake you up. Yeah, you're not going to be able to go. I had to this. call
0: my bosses and I'm like both my bosses like, okay, I'm going to jail. Like <laughs> they're like, what? Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, right. And that must be when you're not, like, you're not in the life anymore. That like, to call your legitimate bosses and be like, it's I have not to like "I'm
0: calling the freaking plug." Yeah, yeah. Like, Yo, we able to reload till tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, it's a different. Can you go uh, ahead open the gym in the morning because I'm getting locked up. Yeah, <laughs> like, it's a
1: totally different animal, right?
0: Yeah. So, like, yeah. being sober isn't all the answer, right?
1: Nope. And I, I think word. I think you're gonna be you're fine. You're gonna you're gonna work it out because we all have to do that for ourselves somehow. Reconcile ourselves with that old life. And it's different for each of us, how we reconcile it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I know it can be done. And I know you I know you can do it.
0: Like, I think I'm doing it. I'm figuring out yeah. some stuff, right? I'm sure like you before, are. Before before it would be like, you know, like completely blinded to it and now mm-hmm. it's like, Am I playing with fire here? I think so. Yeah. So like there's a the recognition, right? And there's certain things that go on that you can see. So it is like again about choices, right? Yeah. So. Pretty much it. But, you know, like, no matter how bad life gets now, Mm -hmm. I'll never use. Yeah. It's just not your thing today, right? It's just not my thing. It's just not my thing. And, like, I don't have a desire to use. But that I think that comes with the amount of sobriety I've had. Mm
1: -hmm. Agreed.
0: You know, it, it gets easier as you give it time and, like, just... You know, it's like stopping and, like, everybody says, play the tape to the end. Well, you know sometimes we glorify mm-hmm. what had happened in them you know like it was so great we were doing this and this was going on and like you know
1: yeah that's the trouble when you play the tape to the end and it's the same old tape right the same old tape and of course that'll just get you the same old thing
0: you mm-hmm. know yeah it's like i had to ask somebody the other day um well i want to do it my way and i said well how has that worked out for you so far mm-hmm. you know yeah and it's just like that way of like the stop in your tracks yeah like yeah. do everything opposite that's what totally. you we're doing if
1: everything you're doing is getting you into trouble stop that and try something
0: different <laughs> like, do the exact opposite of everything yeah. you're doing and that's what i did when i got into <laughs> sobriety yeah. yeah well that's
1: good though that must have been a simple way to kind of put a handle on all the shit that you had to do
0: yeah differently right mm-hmm. wow Definitely. Fuck.
1: Well, thank you so much for coming in.
0: Thank you for having me. I don't me.
1: know. I think it's probably an hour and 15 or an hour and a half, something, something like that. That's a long... It's nice. I'm so glad we got a chance to talk. To talk. Um. So before we go, mm-hmm. if you if there's anything you could tell people that you would have loved to have heard that you didn't hear, maybe, or maybe you did and it helped you, but something that you could tell people out there who might be still struggling.
0: You no, know, you're not alone and don't give up. hmm You're not alone. There's places, there's people that care about you and uh, you can do this.
1: Thank you for tuning in this week to the Voices in Recovery podcast. Please stay tuned every Wednesday as we air another episode. Thank you for your time. And please, if you're in trouble, reach out. If you need to contact us at www.freedomspathrecoverysociety.ca or you can look for us on Facebook under Freedoms Path Recovery Society. Thank you again for tuning in. Please stay tuned for upcoming groups, activities, and podcasts.